Today's message is going to be John 14, verses 1 through 14. You can follow on the board behind me as I read aloud. I am the way and the truth and the life. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where, I'm, that where I am, you will also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do. Because I am going to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may say, be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Thank you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it has the power to transform our lives. It has the power to give hope to the hopeless, to give life to the lifeless, to give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. I pray that this subject today, God, that you would speak your truth of your radical one-way love into our hearts that, that so often seems to fly in the face of what our culture is teaching us. Help us to repent and believe and love and treasure your son Jesus more and more. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, this week was a, a busy week. I'm still praising God that my house is no longer attacking me. That's an awesome blessing. The news has been uh, pretty wild. I mean, we have the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup, right? Go ahead and clap. All you guys who worship hockey instead of Jesus, whatever. <laughs> and, and just so you know, you can thank me for this, because wherever I live, that's where the Stanley Cup wins. Because I just came from LA, that was last year, if you remember. And now this year, I'm here, you're welcome. All you hockey fans, I'm just letting you know. You can thank me later, tips, whatever you got to do. Uh, and then we had, we had that fun news, although it was sad for Garth Brooks, of course. He had to do a little swan song that he got canceled because of the hockey game. And then we had tough news at the Chapel family. One of our, our long-time Sunday school teachers, Vic Simmer, he was actually here when the chapel started and was with Galen before this, this church gathering was meeting. He has done sound. He's taught I don't know how many kids through the years. And he passed away and went to be with the Lord suddenly. Um, and we knew there was illness coming, and it's always painful, though. 
And, and I, I always remember when people die, uh, something that C.S. Lewis, he's the guy that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a bunch of other great books that aren't kids' books only, but he talked about death between him and his friends. He had a circle of friends, there were four of them, and when one of them passed away, they, they said it wasn't just that we lost our friend, but when someone passes away in our life, we lose a piece of everyone else that only that one friend can bring out. So when we mourn the death of a lost loved one, we don't just lose them, we lose the piece of another friend that only that friend could bring out. And if you've ever lost someone, you're probably there nodding your head saying, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Vic was an example of faithfulness to the end. And then in the contrast of that, this week, I'm telling you the news was crazy because the internet blew up with so many different stories. The Stanley Cup on one end, the first time a horse has won the Triple Crown on another end. For those of you gamblers, you can also give me your money later for that you won from that. And then we've got the, the Bruce Caitlyn Jenner cover. And, and if you've bought groceries this last week or if you've gone on any social media whatsoever, it has blown up a literal explosion on the internet. I don't even want to go on my phone anymore because I'm getting tired of the notifications. And, and I, I thought, okay, people are asking me questions. I'm, I'm answering hundreds of calls or texts or emails or tweets. So I wrote a blog that ended up getting me unfriended by family members and friends, <laughs> which is okay. If they don't want to be my friend, they don't have to be my friend. Um, but, but it was one of those weeks where everything seemed like stretched and distracted and then I come to this passage. This passage coming off of last week, we talked about Lazarus being raised from the dead by Jesus when Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And now Jesus is heading into his last week. He's pulled away from his public ministry and he's pouring into his close circle of friends. And right before this passage that we read this morning, Jesus tells Peter, you are going to betray me. Everyone is going to betray me. Everyone is going to turn away. And then Jesus leans in and says that first line. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Now, I don't know about you, but my heart has been troubled lately. All of these different things in my life tearing different directions. At first it was my house attacking me, and then it's things happening in the families of people who I'm growing to love and deeply appreciate here as I, as I get to know you as your pastor. I've had a troubled heart. There have been surgeries, there's cancer, there's marriages hanging by the thinnest of threads, there's kids that are so wayward, they're not even wayward, they're off the cliff onto the other side of some terrible dark places and parents that don't know what to do. So when I come to this passage today, it's not really one that I'm here to preach to you, but to preach it to myself, to let it wash over me, and I pray that it washes over you. Because Jesus wants you to know right from the get-go, no matter how bad it's going to get, do not let your heart be troubled. And he's saying this in the face of his own death. Jesus is saying this in the face of him going to the cross, to stand there, get whipped, beaten, and chained, and crucified, have a crown of thorns pressed on his head, and then the ultimate thing that's bad in all of this, to have the wrath of God, the Father, against all sin poured on him for us. That's what he's looking at when he says, let your hearts not be troubled, believe in God. You're going to see some of the most horrendous things you've ever seen, my followers, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and also in me. And here's what I love on the week when, we, when a beloved friend passes away. In my father's house, 
are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. This is the religious thing. This is why many of us are here. We are all going to die. It's a certainty. And there are many religions in the world. I've had the privilege of traveling around the world to see a lot of these religions. I've dialogued with a lot of other um, leaders from religious groups that are not within the Christian umbrella. And I've seen how they answer the questions. How do we get right with God? How do we get right with the divine? And one of the least popular things today that we could say is that there is one way. Jesus Christ. He is the way to the Father. He is the way to eternal life because He Himself is eternal life. And this is the one differentiating fact from every other religion in the world. Because every religion, Hindu, Buddhist, the offshoots, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, they teach one thing only, that you have to get your way to God by doing the right thing, by going along the right path, by being good enough. But Jesus, in His grace, recognizes that we cannot do that. So He says, I am going to make a way for you. I am going to make a place for you. I am going to get it ready for you. And the place that He was talking about was, first and foremost, Himself. Going to the cross to make the way for you and I. So now, before we get into this next part, have any of you ever been troubled in your heart? Okay, just making sure I'm not alone. Have any of you heard the phrase, I am the way and the truth and the life before? Okay, I just want to say how many church people we have in here. That's great. I wasn't a church person growing up, so this was new to me. When I read a guy saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I didn't quite get that. I had to press into that when I was a young believer. So what does it mean for you today that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? I've had some fun experiences in my life. Uh, one of them uh, came when I was going to a new city. I was looking at different seminaries to go to for graduate school. And, uh, and I went to a wonderful city that I love called Pittsburgh. I love it because the greatest football team on earth is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Amen? There's a couple people out there. There's one person that follows the true Lord. <laughs> but when I went to Pittsburgh, the craziest thing happened. I got off the plane, and, and this was a bad season in my life because um, this was a season when Abercrombie and Hollister were popular, and I got sucked into this weird culture of trying to look a certain way. So paint this picture, if you will, with me. This giant six-foot-six man hopping off a plane. I had the jeans that were ripped, the ones that you paid for to be ripped, not because I worked hard on a farm or anything. They were just paid to be ripped. And then underneath that, I had a t-shirt on. It was a hot pink t-shirt. We're talking as bright pink as the brightest pink in this room today. On top of that sweatshirt, because it was wintertime, I had this, uh, this sweatery thing, and it was a zipper, and it had the collar that went up like this. But it zipped down so you could see my pink shirt coming out. On top of all that, this was when frosted tips were an okay thing to have for some people. Okay, you got the picture in your head? So I get off the airport, I get my luggage, and then I'm realizing as I'm heading over to the seminary where I'm going to stay, ah, I've got no toiletries, I really need shampoo. So I'm driving in a city I've never known, and this is before GPS. So all of you kids in here who are wondering what that looks like, there was a time when we actually had to get a book with a thing called a map printed on stuff called paper. And that's how we found our way around, okay? So I was doing one of those, like I need to find either a map or a hair supply store. So I'm looking for anything. I'm looking for Supercuts, I'm looking for Sam's Cuts, whatever they've got, because I've got no shampoo, no gel, no nothing, and I need gel to make my frosted tips look on point. 
But I didn't know Pittsburgh from anything. So I'm just driving. I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, these are big buildings. Nice. There should be a haircut place around here. All of a sudden, I'm going out to areas that are not big buildings anymore. All of a sudden, I end up in areas and neighborhoods where there's no more windows. There's just boards and graffiti. And then what I'll call just nicely, like there was gang activity happening around me. Now, I know you can't tell, A, because I just told you what I was wearing that day, like my, my tips, my pink, my collar, pop, looking fly, my ripped jeans, but I, I didn't grow up that way, I promise you. Like, I grew up in a scrappier area. So, in this getup I've got, now I feel like I'm dressed like a clown because now I'm trying to put on my hardcore face because I know the type of neighborhood I'm getting into. I had taken some turns and I didn't know where I was, and I think I took some wrong turns. But there it was, bright, shining, green light, hair supply, good. All I need is shampoo. I walk into the store, open the door, the little bell rings, ding, 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 about five or six aisles wide. Um, I walk in and I look around and every head turns to face me. And I realize in that hot second that I am the only white guy in this building. Now here's the thing, they don't know that I have a half black brother. And nobody knows that I'm half Filipino because I'm the tallest, whitest half Filipino you've ever seen. <laughs> So they don't know that like, I'm a diverse person. Like my brother's half black, I'm half Filipino, my youngest brother's half Hawaiian. Like I'm all good with all people, but they don't know that. They see a frosty tip, hot pink wearing ripped jeans guy walking into the hair supply store. And I walk up and down the aisles and I'm just like, dear Jesus, help me find shampoo. And after I go up and down every aisle, a lady finally says, can I help you? I'm like, I just need shampoo. And she, no joke, says, I don't think we got what you're looking for. I'm like, I just need something that suds up. And she goes, we got one made out of vegetable oil. And I said, well, it suds up. She said, yes, so I bought it. And my hair was awesome that whole week. <laughs> and as I'm walking out of the store, I hear this, word for word, ding, 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 coming out of my bag. Hey, you a cracker. Because here I am. I, I was a cracker in this moment. Frosted tips, pink shirt, ripped jeans, white collar. And I look over, and a group of guys are summoning me come over here. And I'm thinking, no. <laughs> I'm, that's, a, that's a wrong turn and a right turn. I need to go the right way. And I wasn't going to get away, so I did what you would do. Puff up your big frosted tip chest and you walk over with your vegetable oil shampoo. And I say, what's going on? And they say, what are you doing over here in our neighborhood? And I talk for a living. I had a few words, uh, I got off the plane, it's shampoo, frosted tips, need some suds. Like, no, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm coming to go to school here, I'm studying to be a pastor, I'm looking at the seminary. And then all of a sudden everything changed. What? You're going to be a pastor? My little brother just accepted Jesus last week. He's saying some crazy stuff. Can you tell me what that's all about? In the meantime, a police officer walks by and says, is everything okay over there? Because I'm surrounded. And I'm thinking like, reet, reet, no, no, help. And then, it's okay, officer, he walks by. I'm like, this is not okay. But as we got to talking, it was such a cool conversation because there I was, this pink shirt, frosted tip, puffy chest, white guy, ripped jeans, coming out with my vegetable oil shampoo, sharing the gospel on a street corner in Pittsburgh with people who I would have never had the opportunity to do that with otherwise. Now, we're coming all the way back to this story. Jesus is walking down a road that does not look like it's going to end in a good way. And for him, it is not going to end in a good way from what everyone could see. 
When he was on the cross, nobody was thinking, this is going exactly as Jesus planned. When he was in the tomb, nobody's thinking, he is exactly where he wants to be. In that moment, sin and death thought they won. In that moment, Jesus was surrounded by enemies who thought they had him exactly where they wanted him. And in this moment, Jesus says something that is so powerful. In the midst of his enemies beginning to surround him, in the midst of people becoming uh, aggressive toward him, hostile toward him, in the midst of him just telling his best friends, all of you here are going to betray me. I will be alone. But I want you to know this. When it's all said and done, I am the way. And I will make the way for you. And where this gets terrifying is when we try to follow our own way. Because this life that we're in, there's a hundred ways to follow. Who are you going to marry when, you get, when you're in college? Where are you going to buy a house? Where are you going to go when, when you get this new job? Who are, how are you going to raise your kids? Where are you going to go in your fun time? What are you going to do for leisure? What are you going to spend your time on? What are you going to watch when the hockey game's on on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. if that ever happens? Are you going to follow one of the 10,000 ways that God is trying to show you don't lead to fulfillment and joy? Or are you going to follow the one way, Jesus Christ? Now I'll tell you what. On that day in Pittsburgh, I was a little bit scared. I mean, I don't get too scared. I'm a large guy. Like, there's not many people larger than me. But when enough of other sized people get around me, I get a little claustrophobic, um, which is why I don't like Disneyland. Or Disney World, as you guys call it here, whatever it's called. But when I come to this passage, and Jesus says these simple words, I am the way. He's not a way. He's the way. There is one way. If that day I had died, or if on the other hundreds of occasions where I've done um, silly things and ended up in bad places, if I had been killed, if I get killed driving out of this driveway today, if a truck hits me as I try to go on Dorman, that road of death where everyone flies by 80,000 miles an hour, I'm confident that I am following the way. And this week I was told, for various reasons, Ryan, you're intolerant. Ryan, you're ignorant to say that Jesus is the only way. Ryan, how can you say that in our modern era, in our modern world, that there is only one way and one truth? And I always retort with a very simple question back. Because I've had people say, even this week, Ryan, well that's true for you and that's great, but this, it's not true for me. Jesus isn't true for me, it's just true for you. And then I start to ask people, well, what is truth? We should know this, we should define this clearly. Like if we're talking about the word truth, what is it? And then it gets boiled down oftentimes to this. Well, truth is whatever you believe to be true. Um, and then I'll say, okay, fine. Then I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't believe in him, then you're going to be apart from God forever. Is that true? Because I believe it. And then they said, no, that's not true. And I said, okay, so now we are really getting at the core of the nature of truth. So what is truth? It's what actually is. And as believers in God, we have to have faith, and I get that, but we don't have faith without reason. There are reasons I believe what I believe. When I first got this book, I had not read this, I had not gone through the Sunday school classes, I didn't know who Goliath was. 
I didn't know the Ten Commandments. And I read through this book, but then I also did something very cool. I, I think it was cool because my mentor told me to do it. He said, read through the other books. So I got a Book of Mormon. Literally went into a Book of a Mormon, uh, whatever, steak that they call them. There was a basketball night that I had played at before, so I knew the, the Mormon steak was open. I went in, literally stole a Book of Mormon from their library. I figured they'd give them away. They won't mind if I steal one. And I, I read that. And I've read the translation of the Quran. And I've gone to India and I've hung out with, with Hindu people who've grown up in that and I've shared the good news about Jesus with them. And in all of those times, there is not one religion other than Christianity where the divine being says, I am the way and I'm making the way for you. I am the way and if you come to me, you have life. Every other one is saying, I am a God and you have to all follow my rules, and then you'll have blessing. I'm a God, and if you don't follow my rules, you will be damned forever. If you can't make it up the ladder, you're not going to cut it in my religion, is essentially what every other religion in the world says. Only in Christianity do we have one where we can talk about grace. We talk about grace and mercy. And I know some of you are thinking right now, Ryan, that's not true. I've been in the church my whole life. I've heard so many rules. They've been pounded into my head over and over. I felt the shame of it. I felt the shame when, when I've had a sin and my Christian friends have pointed at me and said, you, you did that sin. You're addicted to this. You're cussing up a storm. You're, you're a gambling, porn-addicted sex fiend. You, 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 you. And you feel the weight of that. I want to let you know today that that's not... Christianity as the Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches that we are sinners. Remember this thing we do? If you, if you come every week, you know that we do this. Everyone lift up their finger, point it out, point it at yourself, and say, I'm worse than I think. You are worse than you think you are. And that's what every religion in the world wants to tell you. Christianity, Christianity is the only one that says, but that's okay, because that means Jesus died for more than you could know or imagine. You are worse than you think you are. When Jesus goes to prepare a way with the Father, He knows how bad you are. If I took my new TV, I got this beautiful 55-inch TV. Um, we bought a 50-inch one, but my wife said it looked too small, so she made me get a bigger one. And I was like, no, can we just keep the small one? <laughs> You're laughing, but it's true. Because <laughs> I don't want to take it down from the wall again. We got this big TV. Now imagine this. Imagine if I took my TV and I bought 150 of them, 160 of them, and I duct taped one to the top of your head and we had this hover magic fairy powder and one followed you around for just 24 hours. That's all. Not a week, 24 hours. And for 24 hours, that 55-inch Vizio TV would broadcast everything you were thinking, everything you were imagining, and it would not only do the picture of it, but the volume. How much... No, no, let me rephrase. How many friends do you think you'd have at the end of that day? <laughs> like, I don't know that I'd like myself. I, I know for sure one thing I would do. I would avoid my children. <laughs> for sure. Because either A, I don't want them knowing all the sin that their dad's dealing with, or B, I don't want them to cause sin so that the expletives that I hold in here make it out through those speakers. Because children are exasperating. Or, or what about with your spouse? Like, can you imagine if you're married watching your spouse's television show for just 24 hours? Wives in here would be like, geez, my husband's even hornier than I thought. 
Literally, they clue you in. It's just going to be like a montage of like a juicy hamburger and our wife. A juicy hamburger and the Stanley Cup. That's all we're thinking. Simple creatures, men. And, and men, do we want to try to interpret what is going to be on our wives' screens? It looks like the Matrix, probably. Just numbers and data. Like, what's going on? I don't even know. That's why I think the Bible says that we're supposed to live with our wives in an understanding way. I think God was like, <laughs> good luck, guys. But here's, here's why I think this is important. Because when Jesus is saying these words, he knows the darkest corner of your heart. He knows the depths of your sin. And he says to you, I love you no matter what you've done, where you are, what you're thinking, what you've gone through. I love you no matter where you are, what you've done, what you're thinking, or what you've gone through. I love you. And he backed it up by going to the cross. And on the cross saying, God, the wrath that they deserve, pour it on me. I'm taking it. And this is where the story gets really cool. And, it, and if you caught on, this, it flips these words around a lot because Philip in verse 8 says to him, Lord, show us the Father and that's enough for us. These guys still aren't getting it. Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the guys right around him are saying, but we just want to see God the Father. And then Jesus finally unveils it all. He says, I, if you see me, you see the Father. If you see the Father, you see me. If you hear my voice, you're hearing the Father's voice. And it's this concept of the Trinity that we believe in, the Father, Son, Spirit. And right now you're saying, it doesn't sound like a Trinity, Ryan. It sounds like a duality. It sounds like there's just Father and Son because the Spirit's coming in a few verses. Jesus wants to hammer it in that if you see Him, if you experience Him, you have seen and experienced the Father. So if your heart is troubled today and you're saying, God, I need your help. God, I need you to be here. I can't make it through tomorrow unless you're here. Where do we go? We go to Jesus, the Word of God. We say, Jesus, I need you. You're the way to the Father. and You are the Father. When I see you, I see the Father. And here's where it gets even cooler. We go down to the bottom. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, in verse 12, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works. Everyone say, greater works. Greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So let's get this picture. Here's what happens. Jesus comes. He dies on the cross, takes all the wrath of God against our sin upon himself. Now, if you're new to church or if you're new to, to the Bible, when we die, God isn't saving us from hell. That's not the primary thing he's saving us from. Many Christians, if you say, what are you saved from? They'll say, I'm saved from hell. Because yes, that's one of the byproducts. But the reason we have to go to hell is because apart from Jesus, the wrath of God is upon us. When Jesus saved us, he saves us from the wrath of God so that we no longer have to be apart from him forever. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're now sons in the family of God. And after Jesus died and rose again, he went to heaven for a purpose, to prepare a place for you and to send someone back to you. And we didn't read this this morning because this is following the passage directly. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, him who walks beside you, in you, through you, around you, over you, under you. Jesus had to go away because when he went away, he was able to now send the Spirit of God. Now we have the Trinity. The Father sends the Son. The Son completes His work as the, the visible imprint and, and image of the Father goes into heaven, sends the Spirit, because the Spirit can be everywhere. Jesus has a body, flesh and blood, 
is not everywhere in that person of the Trinity himself. So he sends the Spirit to be in you. And now the question is, okay, if Jesus is the way, the truth and life, I want to be in that. I want to be on that way, in that truth, in that life. How do I do it? Well, you, you step back and say, do I have the Spirit in me? And it's very simple. If you want to know if you have the Spirit in you, it's written all over this passage. If the Spirit of God is in you, you will do what Jesus did. You will keep His commandments. You will love God the Father, not tolerate God the Father, not attend God the Father's seminars once a week, but have a loving relationship with Him. If you don't have the Spirit, you won't have the ability to even have that love for God and Jesus. And then you'll do what Jesus did. Have any of you guys been to Hawaii before? Anyone been to Hawaii? You're all missing out. Jeez Louise. Just die and go to heaven and see it there. So in Hawaii, there's these beautiful waterfalls. And I have to explain this because we're in Florida. Okay, everywhere else in the world, there's these things called mountains. And water comes down mountains and it falls. And in Hawaii, these beautiful waterfalls, hundreds of feet, will fall down, they'll form a little pool. And if you're in the higher up mountains, they'll fall down, form a little pool, and fall down, form a little pool, and fall down, form a little pool, and then go out into the ocean. And it's exactly as idyllic as it sounds. However, sometimes it doesn't rain. And a waterfall will fall down, go to a pool, and then fall down and maybe end in a pool, and then dry up. And these little pools that don't have waterfalls pouring in or going out, they turn into this um, soupy, sewagey, nasty pool that nobody's putting on any postcards. Now he here's what happens in Christianity. Sometimes we get so caught up in all the, okay, I do this, I don't do that, I watch this, I don't watch that, I say this, I don't say that, that we forget the simple life-giving truths. When Jesus says, if, if my spirit is dwelling in you, you'll do what I did, and even greater things. You'll obey and love the commandments. Because here's how spiritual growth works. God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit pour into you life. Beautiful, crystal clear, drinkable, enjoyable, perfect temperature, life. But too many of us as Christians do this. We, we pool up. And we say, I love it. I love that song. I love that style of worship. I love, you know, and today, talk about a hard thing to choose. Like, if you're a gospel person, you're like, yes! Then we do a hymn, and the hymn people are like, yes! And sometimes we get so caught up in all these little things, these little divisions, that we say, I'm just going to be a pool, and I'm God, keep pouring into me. Keep pouring into me, God. And we start to feel, oh, I'm kind of full. And God, I'm just going to come for one more service, one more Bible study, God. But what we're not doing is pouring out into the next pool. What we're not doing is saying, God, I, I thank you for pouring into me. I'm a, who am I going to pour into? Which people have you put down here? What are the pools below me that I'm going to pour love and grace and mercy into? Otherwise, I'll become stagnant and stale and full of slime and gunk. Because this is what Jesus says. If my spirit's in you, you're going to do what I do. You want to know how simple Christianity is? It's this simple. Just for a week, try ignoring the majority of the rules that you think you're trying to keep to be a good Christian and just go by one principle. Look at what Jesus did in his body when he was walking around on earth and do those things. That's it. Look at what Jesus did when he was on earth and do those things. I don't think he walked by sick people without praying for them. I don't think he walked by poor people without doing something for them. Either a prayer or an encouraging word or giving them food and water. I don't think he walked by a stressed out friend and said, I just don't have the time for them today. And, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody. 
I'm preaching that one right to myself. Because with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those hundreds of things, like there are friends that I just want to avoid. And they'll be commenting on my post and messaging me and my phone gets this little bubble every time someone messages me. I'm like, go away. And pop up again, the same person. Go away. Pop up again, the same person. If you think it's you, it's not you. Don't worry. But at the end of the day, are we doing what Jesus did when he was in his body? Because if we're not, we might not have the spirit. We might not actually have the waterfall of life pouring into us from God. We might simply be a pool that's next to genuine pools of faith. And we're getting a little bit of splash in and we think, that ah, it feels kind of good, I kind of like this. But then when we look at what that pool has to go through, they look serene and they look beautiful. But when you're constantly flowing, it means something. You're constantly giving. You're constantly sacrificing. You're constantly pouring out because that's what God did for you. You're constantly saying, my time is not my time, it's God's time. How will I use that today? If you didn't get a chance to look at the covenant, we only, I only printed out about 25 or 30. This is a two-page covenant our new members had to sign, saying, where am I going to be a missionary? How am I going to act like the family of God? What does it look like to serve other people in my community, in my family, in the church, in the city? And they read through all those. They read through the questions. And they said, on top of that, we're going to give five hours of our week each week to the chapel. That's all I ask is for five hours of the new members. An hour and a half for a worship gathering. An hour and a half for serving somewhere, whether it's cafe, whether it's front door, whether it's kids ministry, whether it's tech booth. And if we don't have enough opportunities here, make up an hour and a half and go serve your neighborhood. Pick up trash in your neighborhood. Help an old lady who can't buy groceries for an hour and a half a week. And then the other, three, uh, other two hours there are being in community. That's all we ask of our members, five hours. Five hours, live on mission as a family of God here in this city. Five hours to understand what it better means to be a pool that God is pouring into and then pouring out into others. Because I, I promised you in a group this size, there are people here who do not have the Spirit of God in them. But I also know that God, through His Word, is awakening curiosity and life in many of you. And saying, I, I haven't been pouring out. I've been a stagnant pool. Jesus is the way. I, I want to line myself up with that way. And here's the prayer for you to pray. And it's a prayer that I pray all the time. And I've mentioned it here, I'll mention it again and again and again. It's the father who wanted to have faith. When his son couldn't be healed and Jesus said, do you believe I can heal your son? The father said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And many of you are there this morning. You believe and you don't. So here's what you do. You position yourself right under the waterfall of God's grace. You say, okay God, Show me what would be on my TV this week. Show me how much you died for me and loved me. Show me how much you've forgiven me. And you need to know that that TV, it's done. It's gone. It's over. There is not one sin that God is holding against you this morning if you come to Christ and you stand underneath Him and say, I need your mercy. Not one sin. I don't care if you're the most evil person in this room. Not that we could pinpoint that person. Because if we did, everyone would like scoot away down the aisle. If, you're the most, if you think you're the most wicked sinner in this room, if you think you've out me, you've got to know that God's forgiveness overreaches that and washes that every time. Ten out of ten times. So now, we back all the way up. Tomorrow, you're going to go to work. You're going to go to school. Or you're going to go to summer break. What does that look like tomorrow? 
It looks like starting your day saying, God, my life is not my life, it's your life now. I'm hid in Christ because Christ died for me, clothed me with his spirit, so now I want to do what you want me to do. That's what Jesus did. He said, God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to do that. It might mean that you don't have as much fun tomorrow, but you want to know who's having the most fun today? Do you want to know which member of Sunset Bay Chapel is having the most fun today? At least one of them that I know of. Because he's not even here today. Vic, that big lug with the biggest paws you've ever seen in your life, who's been battling cancer and battling other illness, is having more fun today than we could possibly hope to ever, ever imagine having in this life. Today. Isn't that weird? Every hair that he lost from being old is grown back, or will grow back, I guess, in the resurrection timing. Today, he's face to face with his creator, the one for whom his soul was made. Today, he's standing before Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm the way, Vic. I snatched you up in your mind, and I love you. Today, we're one child care Sunday school teacher short because he's done. Today, God's call for your life is that same call. Come follow the way so that you can have the longest lasting joy in the presence of God and the pleasures that last forever at the right hand of the Father who loves you. When, when I pray today, if you've always prayed to God with a God or Lord, I want you just today to pray in your mind calling him your Father. Don't feel bad and don't feel weird, but everyone of you that has prayed with me, I've judged your prayers. Because I'm a Christian. That's what I do. We judge people. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't judge them to say like a good prayer or bad prayer. And I tell my kids all the time, great prayer, buddy. I don't know that I should do that. But I listen to see how we interact with God. I listen to see if people only call God, God or Lord or, or yes, God, 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 Lord of the Lord. Because I want to know if God to you is your loving Father. Because that's what He is in Jesus Christ. So when I pray today, I want you to get that name for God in your mind. The loving Dad, the Abba Father who loves you beyond measure. And ask yourself genuinely and truly, am I on this way? Am I standing under the waterfall of grace? Because if you are, you'll naturally begin pouring it out into others. And that's the call that God has for us in this passage, is to line ourselves up with Christ, to know that He went to prepare a place, a place where now we are waiting for and longing for, a place where, where Vic is inhabiting. A place where all of us one day will be or not be, depending on how you view and who you believe in, who you believe Jesus Christ to be. So let's pray, and then I'm going to invite up the guys to lead us in one last song. Father, I can't believe how much you love me some days. If I had eyes to see and, and better ears to hear, I would believe that all days, but I get distracted and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Dad, I'm, I'm so grateful that when you look down at this group of people, you don't bring condemnation. I'm so glad, God, that when you look down at, and you see our lives, not just for a week or a day, but you see the span of our lives from the the first sin we've ever committed to the last one we'll have in our hearts. And you say, I love you through that because Jesus died for it. 
Father, I pray for people in here today. I pray for those in here who you're calling to yourself. That today they would give up. That they would finally be able to say, I'm worse than I think. I can't believe that I've tried to be God of my life for so long. And that they would finally submit and believe in Jesus. The Son of God. Your Son. Who made a way for us. Father, you made a way for me. Your love is so great. I just want to sing. I just want to sing this song to you. Father, I don't know how it works up there. I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know what hugs look like. But there are many people in this family that miss Vic dearly. Could you do us a solid and embrace him? Could you, in some way, give him a glimpse of today and give us a glimpse of what he sees now? In Jesus' name.